We come now to the close of a year that has proven that we as a nation have a heart problem. And somebody's got to be willing to go all the way until there is a transformation. When America, Dr. Forbes and Imam and Rabbi and Dr. Blackman and Liz, Theo Harris, when America is weighed in the balance of God's desire for love and justice, we are found wanting. And we've seen again this year a theme which recurs too often in the American story, that we go forward only to step backwards, that every stride toward freedom is met by a backlash of hate and fear. Here in the 21st century, racism and economic fear still too often conjure a powerful magic which compels this nation to seek safety in hating the other and security in the false nativism that has failed us before and will fail us again. Long before any Russian hack, the American electoral process was compromised by racism and fear. The Southern strategies divide and conquer tactics touch something deep within our social DNA, a fundamental fear which is ever seeking to come forth and masquerade as a normal condition. One of the most underreported stories of 2016 is that America experienced its first federal election in a half a century without the full protections of the Voting Rights Act. We had 25 debate, debates during the presidential primaries and general election, and not a single question, real question and real debate about fixing the Voting Rights Act. And when I think about what Reverend Blackman and the rabbis have taught us that in Hebrew, your voice is your vote, your vote is your voice is the same word. With that's a troubling reality. 14 states had new voting restrictions in place for the first time, including swing states. The report that Ari Berman has given us. On election day, you want to talk about a hacking. There were 868 fewer polling places in states with a long history of voter discrimination like Arizona, Texas, and North Carolina, affecting literally millions of voters, hundreds of thousands, and yet it has received almost no coverage. In my own state of North Carolina, as Joan Walsh reported, black turnout decreased 16% in the first early week of early voting because while we won a case in the court against the worst voter suppression, they only did just what they had to do, and that meant they kept 158 fewer early voting places in the 40 heavily black counties. So we cannot, my friends, understand 2016 without turning back the pages of campaign history to the redemption movement of the 1870s that selected Rutherford B. Hayes, who do, did not win the popular vote, in order to turn back the gains of Reconstruction or the elections of Barry Goldwater in 64, George Wallace's campaign in 
Richard Nixon's in 68, and even Ronald Reagan's campaign beginning in Philadelphia, Mississippi, that was laced with language of hate and bigotry. My sisters and brothers, be clear tonight. Let us be very clear. This is nothing unprecedented in the American experience. I'm talking about the election of Donald Trump or, or this, this Southern strategy. His appeal to the lesser angels of our nature and the appeal of so many to those lesser named angels is as American as apple pie. And let us be also equally clear that this is not just about a president. It's about an entire web of money and influence that has been working to tie up the American democracy and other countries around the world. Even as the divide between the rich and the poor is at its worst and widest time in our nation's history. Our election is growing more diverse every year and wealthy oligarchs know that they cannot hold on to power in a truly democratic election. So we are witnessing an all-out assault, foreign and domestic, on the very heart of our democracy. How dare God let the sun shine on the just and the unjust, and then somebody in government think they have the ability to take away people's equal protection under the law. Moral issues like pro-labor, anti-poverty, anti-racist policies that build up an economic democracy through full employment and living wages and the alleviation of disparate unemployment and a just transition away from fossil fuels and labor rights and affordable housing and direct cash transfers and other safety net supports for families struggling to get by who are not just poor but poor, as my grandma used to say fair policies for immigrants and, and by critiquing policies around warmongering, warmongering where people are talking more about nuclear weapons than negotiations. Moral agenda, equality in education by ensuring that every child receives a high quality, well-funded, constitutional, diverse public education as well as access to community colleges and universities. A moral agenda. Healthcare for all by expanding Medicaid in every state, assuring access to Medicare and Social Security, but then moving toward universal, transparent, and an equitable healthcare system. How dare any politician get free healthcare because the people elected them and then, then do not want the people that elected them to have the same thing they have? <clears throat> and protecting women's health. And then fairness in the criminal justice system by addressing the continuing inequalities in the system for black, brown, and poor white people. And we must fight the proliferation of gun, the unholy hold the NRA has on our body politics is immoral. And so we wrote Mr. Trump saying we do not believe these ideas are left are right. They are right and wrong. That's the struggle. And we said while we, we know no human being is perfect, we wish to speak to you about these moral issues because far too much is at stake for you to succumb to the worst demons that try to hijack our democracy. And we said to him we wouldn't meet with him at the towers, but if he so chose in a house of worship 
because the role of moral leaders is not to make politicians of any party comfortable, but to challenge them and to critique them. Because some things we stand for no matter who's in office. And I want you to tell you that when that letter went live, tonight nearly 3,000 clergy in America have signed on to it saying we must have. And tonight, this service is trending on Twitter around the world. The spirit, Dr. Forbes, is telling us that we must build a movement that declares standing down is not an option. We must, by the spirit, not by power, not by might, but by the spirit, bring poor people together, black, white, and Latino, Christian, Muslim, Jew, gay, lesbian, straight, people of faith, people who may not be of faith, but they trust in a moral, un they believe in a moral universe, civil rights and labor, around a moral revival and poor people's campaign, a moral fusion movement, like Pentecost. A movement that can see that there is a difference between the darkness of the tomb and the darkness of the womb. A movement that says we will not allow our brother's body to swing and it not get our attention. A movement where Muslims can join with Jews and we can all hold ourselves together. And so this is our resolution. This is our resolve. We are going forward together and not taking one step back. Our resolve is like William Lord Garrison. When somebody asked him to be moderate in the days of slavery, and William Lord Garrison, a white preacher, said, I do not wish to think or speak or write with moderation. I'm in earnest. I will not equivocate. Ask a woman whose child is in a burning house to be moderate, but I will not be moderate. I will not retreat a single inch, and I will be heard. Like Garrison, we cannot stand down. Like Frederick Douglass, who said, where justice is denied, where poverty is enforced, where ignorance prevails, and where any one class is made to feel that society is an organized conspiracy to oppress, to rob, and to degrade them, neither persons nor property will be safe. We cannot stand down. Like Ella Baker, the great freedom fighter of the 20th century, said, in order for us as poor and oppressed people to become a part of a society that is meaningful, the system under which we now exist has to be radically changed. It means facing a system that does not lend itself to your needs and devising means by which you can change that system. To tell your neighbor, we cannot stand down. Like the poet Jane Cortez, who said, if we don't fight, if we don't resist, if we don't organize and unify and get the power to control our lives, then we will wear the exaggerated look of submission, the bizarre look of suicide, the dehumanized look of fear, and the decomposed look of repression. Forever, we cannot stand down. Yes, with Dr. King, we must confess and testify there comes a time when silence is betrayal. And there comes a time that we must stand flat-footed and declare eternal dissatisfaction with poverty, racism, materialism, and militarism.
There comes a time that we must say like Jesus, woe unto those who engage in religious practices but leave the weightier matters of love and justice and mercy and faith undone. There comes a time, like the apostle said, the apostle Paul in his letter to the Hebrews where we must proclaim we are not of those who shrink back unto destruction, but we are those who persevere unto the salvation of the soul because faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. In fact, as we welcome the new year, let me remind you that there was a time, there was a time when three millennium boys, maybe one of them was in the moral movement of his day, the other was in the Black Lives movement of his day, and the other was in the Fight for 15 movement of his day, I don't know. But I do know, Rabbi, their names that the enemy gave them was Shedrach, Meshach and a bad Negro. Y'all know what I'm talking about, Tito. That was their name. Yeah. And, uh, and they were dealing with this king who was a narcissist. And uh, he believed his own press reports. And they tell me he loved to build towers. And nobody had ever seen a tower like Nebuchadnezzar's tower. And he loved to cover his things, his towers in gold. And he loved to make them shine. And he loved to build them tall and have meetings in the tower. And he loved people to bow down and worship at the towers. Nebuchadnezzar told these Hebrew boys that if they didn't bow down, he throw them in the fire. But what he didn't know was that those boys had a fire in them already. Those boys had refused to eat the king's meat or the king's drink or the king's wine at Marlego, I mean at Babylon. And rather than get drunk with the wine of the world and forget those who came before them, they had a fire in them because they kept alive the stories of the deliverance from Egypt. They had a fire in them because they remembered how Samson stood up against the Philistines and they didn't believe the press. They didn't believe the tweets that the king kept putting out. While he was tweeting, they were singing the songs of Zion and they were renewing their spirits. And the king and his men didn't know it but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were a part of a moral movement because every age has a moral movement. And they didn't stand down. Instead, they said, if God, even if God doesn't change things right now, we're going to be a witness that standing down is not an option. And because they didn't, they changed the king. They changed the climate. They changed the consciousness. They changed the fire. Because when they went in, the fire was seven times hotter. But when they came out, the Bible says it didn't even have the smell of smoke on them. And they brought about a moral revolution because they would not stand down. 
and I stopped by January 1st, 2017 to say that I believe in the power of a moral movement. I believe that standing down is not an option. I've read about it in my Bible. I've seen it in American history. My faith informs me, but I want you to know it's not hypothetical because I've experienced it over the last four, three or four years. We started fighting with Marl Monday down in North Carolina. They said it didn't matter because the extremists had all the power. They told us to bow down and wait until the next election. They took control of all three branches of government and they weren't backing down an inch, but we stood together for three long years. We went in the fire together. We marched together. We prayed together. We went to jail together. We registered voters together. We went to the legislature together. We sued them in court together. And this year, in the face of all this other Trumpism, we saw a change down in the South, down in the North Carolina, because somebody refused to stand down. So I stopped by to tell you that Nebuchadnezzar would, have, would not have fought so hard to get these boys to bow if he didn't know the power they had, if they stood. I need you to turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, Nebuchadnezzar is scared of you. That's why, say that's why he's trying to get you to bow. Cause he knows that if you stand, it'll be all right. There's strength in our standing. I stopped by to tell you, we may be headed into some fiery times, but bowing down is not an option. Falling down is not an option. Looking down is not an option. Standing down is not an option. We have to go in the new year standing up. We can't bow until justice comes. We can't bow until mercy comes. We can't bow until the glory comes. Now one day, we'll be able to bow when every heel is made low and the rough places are made straight smooth and the crooked places are made straight and the glory of the Lord is revealed. I'm bowing then, but until then, until then, until then, bowing is not an option. Standing down is not an option. Yeah, 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 yeah.